I joined up the last two lines of the hopscotch grid and wrote a big ten in the top square. It gave me a thrill writing the age I'd be on my next birthday because everyone knew that once you hit double digits, you weren't a child anymore. The green chalk, borrowed from the scoreboard of my father's dartboard without his knowledge, was so stubby that my fingers scraped against the concrete of the driveway as I put the final touches on my creation. There, it's done. I stood back and studied my handiwork. As usual, I was disappointed that something I'd made hadn't turned out quite as good as I'd imagined. It's perfect, Kat declared, reading my mind as she always did, and trying to reassure me before I washed the grid off in a fit of self-doubt. I smiled even though her opinion shouldn't have counted for much. My identical twin sister was easily impressed by everything I did. You go first, Kat said. Okay. I pulled the bronze half-cent coin from my pocket and rubbed it for luck before launching it into the air from my thumbnail. It arced and spun, glinting in the sunlight, and when it finally landed in the first square, I launched myself forward eager to finish the grid in record time. I finished three circuits before the coin skittered out of the square marked four. It should have ended my turn, but I shot a quick look at Cat, who was distracted by a hardy-dar bird making a racket on the neighbour's roof. Before she could notice my mistake, I nudged the coin back in place with the tip of my canvas shoe and carried on jumping. You're doing so well, Cat called a few seconds later, once she turned back and noticed my progress. Spurred on by her clapping and encouragement, I hopped even faster, not noticing until it was too late that a lace on one of my techies had come loose. It tripped me up just as I cleared the last square and brought me crashing down knee first, my skin scraped raw on the rough concrete. I cried out, first in alarm and then in pain, and it was this noise that brought my mother's flip-flops clacking into my line of vision. Her shadow fell over me. Oh, for goodness sake, not again! My mother reached down and yanked me up. You're so clumsy, I don't know where you get it from. She tusked as I raised my bleeding knee so she could see. Cat was crouched next to me, wincing at the sight of the gravel embedded in the wound. Tears started to prickle but I knew I had to stop their relentless progression quickly or suffer my mother's displeasure. I'm fine. It's fine. I forced a watery smile and gingerly stood up. Oh, Robin, my mother sighed. You're not going to cry, are you? You know how ugly you are when you cry. She crossed her eyes and screwed up her face comically to illustrate her point, and I forced the giggle she was looking for. I'm not going to cry, I said. Crying in the driveway in plain sight of the neighbours would be an unforgivable offence. My mother was very concerned with what other people thought and expected me to be as well. Good girl. She smiled and kissed me on the top of my head as a reward for my bravery. There was no time to savour the praise. The trill of the ringing phone cut through the morning. And just like that one of the last tender moments my mother and I would ever share, was over. She blinked, 
and the warmth in her eyes turned to exasperation. Get Mabel to clean you up, okay? She had just disappeared through the back door into the kitchen when I became aware of whimpering and looked down to see that Cat was crying. Looking at my sister was always like looking into a mirror, but in that instant it felt as though the glass between my reflection and me had been removed so that I wasn't looking at an image of myself. I was looking at myself. The misery etched into Cat's scrunched-up features was my misery. Her blue eyes welled with my tears and her pouty bottom lip trembled. Anyone who'd ever doubted the veracity of twin empathy only had to see my sister suffering on my behalf to become a true believer. Stop crying, I hissed. Do you want Mom calling you a crybaby? But it looks like it hurts. If only it were that straightforward in the eyes of our mother. Go to our room so she won't see you, I said, and only come out when you feel better. I tucked a strand of brown hair behind her ear. She sniffed and nodded, and then scurried inside with her head bent. I followed a minute later and found our maid, Mabel, in the kitchen, washing up the breakfast dishes. She was wearing her faded mint-green uniform, a coverall dress that was too tight on her plump frame, the buttons gaping apart where they were fastened in the front, with a white apron and duck. My mother was on the phone in the dining room, using the carefree, happy voice she only ever used with one person, her sister, Edith. I left her to it, knowing that if I asked to speak to my aunt, I'd be told either to stop interrupting grown-ups' conversations or to stop being so in love with the sound of my own voice. Mabel, look, I said, as I lifted up my knee relieved that it wasn't one of her few Sundays off. She cringed when she saw the blood, and her hands flew up to her mouth, sending suds flying. Yo, yo, yo! I'm sorry! I'm sorry! she exclaimed, as though she'd personally caused my suffering. To me, this litany was better than all the plasters in the world, and an immediate balm to my pain.'